episode of the black language podcast where we talk about our people and our language and we're talking black is anything said by a black person i'm your host anansa and just a little bit about myself i use she her pronouns i'm from new york shout out the 518 cap city shout out bahio spanish harlem greeleyville south carolina and the rest of williamsburg county I'm in my Robinson Cano year plus two, so I'm 26. I'm a proud Ravenclaw. I'm a Leo sun and moon and Virgo rising. Get into it. And I didn't know a thing about linguistics until I was 18 in college and decided to major in it because so many of my intuitions about linguistics just seemed to be there. After I graduated, I worked in education in Providence, Rhode Island for two years. And then from then, I went to get my master's in applied linguistics. Full transparency, the current name of the podcast may or may not be temporary until I think of something better. I had so many ideas, but they were already taken. If you have a better idea, let a sister know because I'm definitely checking for one. But I just knew that if I waited any longer for the right name to come along, I didn't know when I was going to start because I sat with this project for just over a year. And it came about as I was finishing up grad school and I felt like much of what I was reading about black people and language didn't show our diversity and just made it seem like we were all one thing. Like black people in LA talk like black people in Albany, New York. And I know that that's not the case. There are definitely similarities between us, but there's so much about what it means to be black in a particular region. And like, what does it mean to be black in Providence, Rhode Island or Rochester, New York? And how is that similar or how is it different? And what's crazy is actually after grad school, I was in the process of becoming a linguist with a security firm and they wanted a black linguist, but they didn't call it that, obviously. And so I had to take multiple tests and the final test was transcribing a phone call. But that was OD hard because we talk differently in different places. The person on the phone in the audio that I was recording sounded like they were from like the Arkansas, Missouri kind of area. Ultimately, I passed, but I played the sound file over and over again because although we have a shared history and a shared language, I could barely understand what they were saying because again, we are not a monolith. We are not just one thing. And that firm did not know that, but I didn't end up going through with the job like that 
security firm contracts out to the United States, basically to the FBI, DEA, DHS, including ICE and other government agencies. And there was no way in how I was going to be surveilling other black people and helping out ICE or those other agencies. But um, I say that to say that there are definitely linguists, black linguists, who are doing the work to say that we are a diverse people and to stop using all these catch-all definitions of what it means to be black or what it means to talk black. And so that was a big motivation behind this podcast. And another and another motivation, maybe I should stop now and say that I do have a stutter. I've been stuttering apparently since elementary school, but I don't remember that. What I do remember was being in middle school and stuttering so bad. I used to be like the kid who would like be leaning my head forward and like blinking my eyes trying to get sounds out. Um, But I don't think I'm gonna edit the stutter out. Like I feel like it'd be contradictory for me to have a podcast about language and then like edit out naturally occurring parts of communication. But I mean, even that I feel like is still ironic because I am going to edit this and this is also not really like a very natural (laughs) occurrence of language. Me just sitting here by myself, recording something by myself as if I'm actually talking to other people who are in the room. Anyways, I said that to say that I stutter. Y'all probably gonna hear me stutter. Um, but back to what I was saying, um, another motivation behind this podcast is the fact that so many of my friends and what I see on social media already shows me that we talk about language all the time and we may or may not even know it. Um, And we're already talking about different accents and what words are popular and what cities and how new slang emerges. Um, But ultimately, I feel so passionately about this because I am a linguist and I love what I do. I believe that linguistics allows us to see life in a new way. We can see the rawness and the beauty and complicatedness and what it means to be human. And so I'm excited to take this journey with y'all because I want to make this something that all black people can see themselves in at one point or another because I know that that blackness is not a monolith. We are not one thing. And so my goal is to be intentional about holding space for all black people because like I said, as far as I'm concerned, black language or talking black is anything said by a black person. So for today, I felt like the first thing I should probably do is just talk a little bit about what linguistics is and what it focuses on. So that way there's a like a bit of a foundation for what this becomes um so when people ask me what a linguist does I say I I definitely say something different every time because truthfully I don't even always know how to explain it so for me what I normally do is ask what the person asking me like what their job is or what some of their hobbies are and explain how linguistics plays a role in their day-to-day so like for example if you work in education there are definitely linguists who study the interactions between teachers and parents and teachers and students if you're in business and sales there are linguists who study successful sales pitches if you're in communications publishing um, journalism uh, advertising marketing there's research in linguistics that will back many of the decisions that you make in regards to slogans, product descriptions, headlines. Um, And definitely if you're in artificial intelligence, computer science, there are linguists behind your favorite um, artificial intelligences like Alexa and Siri. 
Um, so I can go on with that. But also, if you have hobbies such as gaming, there are linguists that study gaming language in chat rooms. If you're a skater, there are linguists that study skate culture. Um, and so typically when I talk to people about linguistics and how it relates to their day to day, I like to say that I think anyone can be a linguist because when I talk to people, it feels like something clicks for them. And I'm like, that's where you want to be. Like, as long as you can recognize the patterns and how you speak, that's all I really feel like I do as a linguist is just recognize patterns in speech and ask myself if these patterns mean anything. I'm sorry, not just speech, also because not all language is just spoken, but I really feel like I just recognize patterns in communication and ask myself if those patterns mean anything. But formally, you could probably say that linguistics is the scientific study of human language. And that in and of itself just sounds confusing, but that's broken down into different categories. And then those categories, of course, have even more categories, but mainly you have people who will study sounds. And that's not to be confused with the alphabet. Um, the alphabet actually doesn't even have all the sounds that we make. Um, then there are people who will study structure and order similar to like the grammar of a language, but not in the same way that you were taught grammar rules in elementary school. Then there are people who study meaning and then people who study how we learn language and how we process language. And there's, you know, of course, all of those categories break down into even more categories. But a few questions that a linguist might ask themselves are, how do we make sounds and perceive sounds and how do they change over time? In what ways are languages similar or different from one another? How are languages learned? Why do adults and children learn languages differently? Um, how is it that words carry meaning? How do individual words come together to form a sentence that means something? Um, how do languages change over time? That's one of my favorite questions. Like, what did language sound like a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago? And why might someone talk a certain way in one situation and talk a different way in another? And there are so many more potential questions. Actually, a big research question that I had when I was in college was about liturgical languages, which are languages that are used for religious purposes. I always felt connected to studying African-influenced religions that were formed throughout the Americas during slavery, such as Santeria, Joruba, Candomblé, Hoodoo, and Voodoo. And while growing up and visiting family members on my mother's side of the family, you know, I saw elements of African spirituality and African spiritual practices everywhere. There was cups of water near the door, brooms over doors, and shrines dedicated to African saints with adornments and decorations. And then when I was in high school visiting some of my family down south, my cousin Leandre actually put me onto this book. I don't remember what the book was, but it was about... Um, Yoruba in the history of black people in America practicing our African religions and then we just got like you know we just launched into the conversation about how my family are you know descendants of Africans who had these African spiritual practices and so for me when I found out that there was such thing as liturgical languages languages used for religious purposes I was curious to know if the liturgical languages in our African-influenced religions here in the Americas, if they shared similarities to the languages of our West African ancestors like Kikongo and Fon? And the short answer to that question is yes. But another way that I can think to explain a little bit about what linguistics is, is by explaining 
what it ain't. <laughs> Oftentimes when I tell people that I study linguistics, they will make two assumptions. The first is that I know multiple languages. And the second is that I'm going to correct the way they speak. So first, it is a myth that linguists speak many languages. Um, what's funny is when I met my current partner, we were texting one night early in the relationship. And I told him that I studied applied linguistics. And he asked me how many languages I speak. And I almost lost all my patience. And it's probably a good thing I didn't. But that's when I told myself, this is the last time I'm answering this question, because what I ended up doing was taking a Twitter to subtweet him and he wasn't even following me at the time. But because like what I really wanted to ask was like, how would that be possible? Like college is only a few years. Like how many languages you think I'm gonna learn in four years, in two years of grad school? Um, but being a linguist does not mean that you speak multiple languages. If you meet a linguist who does speak multiple languages it's probably because they come from a family that is multilingual or they come from a place that is multilingual there are definitely linguists who will study one language and one language family so they might be familiar with the language but they may not feel comfortable speaking it still um, and then you might meet linguists who speak multiple languages because aside from their studies in linguistics, they just might like to travel or be a worldly person or they see the value in speaking more than one language. Um, but just to wrap that up, being a linguist does not mean that you learn languages. The second myth that I want to address is that as a linguist, I'm going to correct the way you speak. I have another story with this one. I was on a flight coming back from Memphis and I was sitting next to this older, wealthy white woman and we spent a lot of the flight talking and that's how I kind of got to know that she was wealthy. Um, but she asked me what I do and so I told her that I was a grad student studying applied linguistics and her immediate response was, oh my goodness, you must think I sound terrible with this twang. And, and, and she did have a really strong, you know, Memphis accent. But what I thought was so interesting is that here I am a young black woman sitting next to this person with way more privilege than me. And yet she thinks that there's something inferior about the way that she speaks. I, of course, reassured her that I would never criticize how she speaks. Um, and that's what linguists um, don't do. We will not criticize how people speak. We are descriptive, not prescriptive. This means that we describe what people do with language. Prescriptive would be something like your first grade teacher who tells you grammar rules like ain't isn't a word and how you can't end a sentence with a preposition. A linguist would tell you that you can absolutely end a sentence with a preposition because people do it all the time. And a linguist would say that ain't is definitely a word because people use it all the time. And so actually many of the grammar rules that, that we learn growing up really are arbitrary. Um, and so much actually about language is arbitrary. It's all just made up and then it changes. Um, at one point in time, people did not criticize ain't and it was recognized as a word just like any other word. It was a contraction for am not. And so what I like to tell people is that, look, if what you said can be understood, then you probably said it correctly. Um, I'm also going to take this time to say that if you are a self-proclaimed member of the grammar police force, I'm going to ask that you retire. Something about that feels too close to white supremacy. But also, the rules that we follow in language change and will change. And we know this because linguists document this change and when it happens and why it happens and the impacts of those changes. And so 
I hope that this will be your last day as part of the Gamma Police Force and that tomorrow you can begin to see how we can use language to liberate ourselves from these oppressive structures. Um, and actually, like now that I think about it, the reason why being the Grammar Police probably feels like white supremacy to me is because, well, one, people are enforcing rules for speaking English. At least in my experiences with the Grammar Police, it's always about English which is a colonial language forced upon our ancestors and so many people of color throughout the world. And so it feels like you're doing the work of the colonizer when you enforce the language rules of the colonizer. But also the thing that I love about language is that it changes. That's probably my favorite thing actually, because it feels like a metaphor for life. I think that there's so many parts of society here in the United States that need to change. Like, capitalism is trash, point blank, period. At one point, my ancestors were capital, and white people took out insurance plans on my ancestors and counted them as assets. Like, that's trash. Sexism, trash. Transphobia, trash. Ableism is trash. And every day, myself and my peers and people in the movement are fighting against people who don't think these systems can change. Like, there are people who don't think we can have a country without capitalism. There are people who don't think we can have a country without racism. And so for me, the way I'm thinking is like, look, we use language every day. Our survival is predicated on our ability to communicate, whether that's through a signed language or an oral language. And so if our survival depends on our ability to share knowledge and communicate our needs, like that's a pretty big deal. And so if language is what we use to do that, and if language changes and we're the ones who change right along with it and we're the same ones who make the change even happen in the first place, then why can't we change all these oppressive systems in society? Like if the way we talk now won't be the way that we talk in 50 years, then why can't we imagine a society in 50 years where people are not discriminated against because of their race, gender, class, sexual orientation and more? Like what I love about linguistics is that it helps me have an imagination because I know about the structures of other languages besides English. And I know about the thousands of ways that humans have chosen to express themselves through the thousands of languages that exist and that have existed that for me to sit here and think that things have to be a certain way in society, like that's just bullshit to me. Like I know it doesn't have to be this way in society. Why? Because there are people out there doing different things, <laughs> like period. Like that almost feels like me saying, oh, everything has to be done in English. When I know that that's not the case because when I look across the world, there are people who are doing things, they're living life with other languages. And like, there are definitely similarities in how a language might choose to structure itself. Um, but there are definitely differences be between languages. Um, and so for me, it's like, if something as constant in our life as language changes, and if it's done differently across the world, then can are then can the certain systems that we think are constant in our lives like can they change can they be done differently to make things more fair for everyone and so I hope that one of the ways I tried to explain a little bit about what linguistics is stuck with you because 
I'm excited for what this podcast brings so we can have discussions about everything I see on social media and experience in person from talking about what it means to have manners to how our slang just dies as soon as the mainstream begins to use it to the way we tell stories and jokes and how our grammar has changed and continues to change. But what I hope to discuss and really encourage is the multilingualness of black people everywhere. Growing up in the U.S., it's easy to be okay not knowing how to speak multiple languages. I feel like at least. Um, Foreign languages are not common in elementary education, at, at least public elementary education. And by the time we start to learn foreign languages in middle school or high school, we're either too embarrassed to make language mistakes, maybe, or maybe we think it's corny, or maybe we got a trash teacher, or maybe, you know, we think that it's easy for us to find information in English, so why do we need to speak another language? And lastly, like, if the language that you're learning at school is not a language that you're using regularly in your daily life, in your community, then it's going to take some more effort to actually retain that language. However, as a Black person who was stolen from Africa and now living in the United States, I feel like we have been lied to. We are absolutely multilingual. We've always been multilingual in and outside of the U.S. And in fact, it's not common around the world to only speak one language. And that includes us and our ancestors. And I'm not just talking about our ancestors who speak Gullah and are from the Gullah Geechee Corridor down in the Carolinas, Georgia, and Florida. And I'm not just talking about our ancestors from Louisiana, East Texas, and that region who speak French or Creole. I'm talking about all our ancestors who were taken from Africa and brought here speaking their African languages, speaking multiple African languages. Our ancestors who were the first to learn English and French and Dutch and Spanish and other languages of the colonizers. I'm thinking about our ancestors who had to translate on plantations and had to translate between the colonizer and each other and vice versa. And what's crazy is while I was in grad school, the applied linguistics department was connected to the TESOL department. TESOL is teaching English to speakers of other languages. And if you went to school here in the U.S. and you might have heard about an ESL teacher or an ELL teacher, they probably have a TESOL degree. So while I'm in these classes in grad school, we're talking about the best methods to teach language. And I'm thinking about my ancestors and the trauma that it must have been to learn a language while enduring so much pain. I'm thinking about if any of my ancestors were language teachers and what those classrooms look like. And so I'm absolutely doing this podcast and thinking about our ancestors who fought to remember our native languages and taught them to us through songs and games. One example that comes to mind is the song Sheshe Kule, which is a children's song that has its roots in Ghana, though it is sung in different places in Africa. But many of us learned this song while watching Gullah Gullah Island, which was a children's TV show on Nick Jr. that celebrated Gullah culture in South Carolina. Um, or depending on your age, your parents might know this song from Eugene Wilde. And what I think is so beautiful because it shows the African diaspora is that Willie Colon and Hector Laveau, two of some of the most prominent salsa singers from Puerto Rico and New York City, also have a version of Sheshe Kule. 
with this podcast, I'm also thinking about our ancestors who kept the names of foods and dances alive and our ancestors who still took the colonizer's language and made their own thing. That's exactly what we have done here with our Black English, our Ebonics. We are absolutely the legacy of our ancestors who rebelled with language. So I'm excited to talk about the language families, sorry, the languages that our families speak throughout the Americas and throughout generations. I'm excited to talk about the similarities and the differences. The similarities are beautiful because it shows our connection and the differences are beautiful because we are not a monolith. I really believe that our freedom is tied to people who look like us in and outside of the U.S. and who speak many languages. And I strongly believe that the revolution will be multilingual. That being said, I'm going to wrap this episode up by shouting out mad people. Um, I want to start with two people who have advised me um, on this past on this project over the past year. And have also just advised me with my personal and professional things going on. And that's Dr. Sasha Elwa Evans and Dr. Sharice King. Um, it's wild because they both know me since I was like 17. And here we are almost 10 years later. Um, I also want to shout out the hosts of the Lingthusiasm podcast, Gretchen McCulloch and Lauren Gone, who awarded me with a grant, which definitely helped to get me started. And lastly, I want to shout out everyone who helped contribute to the intro to the podcast. Um, It's funny. So I was saying that I kind of come up with a name for the podcast. So that's actually how the intro came about. I was really sad because I wanted to name my podcast Talk To Me Nice. I had the idea to name the podcast Talk To Me Nice, like probably in the shower or when I was sleeping. But when it came to me, I was like, this is what I'm going to call my podcast because I like that it has the word talk in the title because you know we're doing language but I also like how talk to me nice is like a greeting and so it's like perfect it's like hey like you know like listeners like talk to me nice da 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 but like but I was mad because that was already taken and then the other ideas I had for the podcast that were similar to talk to me nice where they were also greetings those were taken or there were other podcasts with a variation of what I was thinking and so I was like maybe I can still include these somehow. And I thought to have my village just send me recordings of them saying whatever greetings they use in their day-to-day life. So I put out the call and my village definitely answered. Um, Just to mention a few of the places where we had people coming from. We had Chicago, New York, the state and the city. Gotta specify. Uh, Panama, Philly, Memphis, Haiti, Mali, Jamaica, Guyana, Jersey, Connecticut, Nigeria, Atlanta, Dominican Republic, Botswana, and Alabama. And to shout everyone out in the order that they appeared, we have Charlie, Gabby, Jordan C., Winston, Mohammed, Stephanie, Jordan L., Edwin, Yaz, Oren, Corel, Aleem, Shaq, Akan, Caroline, Karshana, Zakia, Shade. Devin, Fumi, Edwin, Dreen, Rob, Stefan, Christine, Deontay, Ty, Lahas, Asad, Yashika, Tati, Amber, and Akeem. And the glue that brings the intro together for the music production is Jordan, who you can find on Twitter and Instagram as Agent Black Guy for your music production needs. He's also a real estate agent. But I really want to thank y'all from the bottom of my heart for sharing a piece of your culture, of your community, of your family with me and with everyone listening to this podcast. 
that being said, I want to thank y'all for rocking out with me today. I'll talk to y'all soon. One.